let's wrap this thing up. Uh, chapter 13, and then... Is there even a chapter 14? Yeah, there's a chapter 14. And then the epilogue. These are... This is the best parts of the book. Um... <clears throat> Might as well just get into it. Uh, chapter 13. The political is personal. God damn it. Uh, nearly a decade would pass before I saw my family again. In October 2009 at my cousin Ivanka's wedding to Jared Kushner. Um, that's the uh, Hitler youth looking guy that uh, everyone says is actually running everything. Um, allegedly. You know how conspiracy theories are. Uh, Jared's father, Charles, who'd been released from prison three years earlier, rose to tell us that when Jared had first introduced him to Ivanka, he had thought she would never be good enough to join his family. Uh, considering that Charles had been convicted of hiring a prostitute to, to, to seduce his brother-in-law, taping their illicit encounter, and then sending the recording to his sister at his nephew's engagement party, I found his condescension a bit out of line. Another great family. <clears throat> As I walked down the hallway, I saw my Uncle Rob. Um, my last exchange with him had been when he had hung up on me in 1999 after I told him Fritz and I were hir hiring a lawyer to contest my grandfather's will. As I approached him now, he surprised me by breaking into a smile. He put his hand out, then leaned down. He was much taller than I was, even in my heels. Shook my hand and kissed me on the cheek, the typical Trump greeting. Honey Bunch, how are you, he said brightly. Before I could answer, he said, you know, I've been thinking that the statute of limitations on family estrangement has passed. Then, bouncing on the balls of his feet, he smacked a closed fist into his open palm in a not-quite-accurate imitation of my grandfather. That sounds good to me, I said. We spent a couple of minutes, minutes exchanging pleasantries. So this guy was like, hey... I know that, you know, we, we screwed you and your brother out of, like, millions of dollars. Um, but, you know, the past is the past, right? Let's uh, fucking hug it out. Again, like, I, I would just grab the, the closest uh, the hors d'oeuvres board and just smack him upside the head with it. <laughs> um, having established that, okay, blah, 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 blah. Uh, hi, Donald. Oh, we're seeing Donald now. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. It was a relief to discover that things between us were pleasant and civil. Having established that, I gave away to the next person in the lengthening line of people, some of them waiting to congratulate the father of the bride, but The Apprentice had just concluded its eighth season, so it's just as likely that many of them were simply there for the photo op. Uh, Donald took to the stage to give his toast. If I hadn't known who he was talking about, I would have thought he was toasting his secretary's daughter. Mm. Okay. Okay. Marianne comes up uh, and says, oh, she walked straight up to my brother and said, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Then gesturing to in include me and said the three of us. Um, okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. 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 This is when it gets really good. <laughs> Uh, Suzanne Craig from the New York Times uh, knocks on Mary's door later on. Uh, April 2017, I think? 
Yep, 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 yep. April 2017. Um, so Suzanne Craig, New York Times, uh, she wanted to ask if Mary had any information or documents that could help, quote unquote, rewrite the history of the president of the United States. Uh, After a month of sitting on the couch, scrolling through Twitter with the news constantly on in the background, I watched in real time as Donald shredded norms, endangered alliances, and trod upon the vulnerable. Excuse me. The only thing about it that surprised me was the increasing number of people willing to enable him. As I watched our democracy disintegrating and people's lives unraveling because of my uncle's policies, I kept thinking about Suzanne Craig's letter. I found her business card and called her. So she ignored it at first. She was like, oh, fuck you. I don't talk to reporters. Um, And then she thought about it, and she was like, oh, my God, my horrible uncle's the president, and he sucks at this, and he just sucks at at being a person. And so she was like, all right, let me do something. Uh, Jack Barnosky, the the person that handled all their uh, legal stuff here, she went to, where is it here? She was on crutches, and I can't remember why. Um, oh, I told her that I wanted to help, but I no longer had any documents relating to our lawsuit years before. Uh, Jack Barnosky might still have them, she said. Ten days later, I was on my way to his office. Um, bitterly cold air pushed between the... Took me ten minutes to get to the lobby on my crutches. I negotiated the escalator and the marble floors very carefully. By the time I arrived at my destination, I was tired and overheated. Thirty banker's boxes lined two walls and filled a bookshelf. The room's only other contents were a desk and a chair. Jack's secretary had kindly put out a pad of paper, pen, and some paper clips. I dropped my bags, leaned my crutches against the wall. Okay, this is okay. Um, when Jack stopped by, I was flushed and soaking wet. You know, crutches. Uh, He reminded me that I couldn't take any documents out of the room. Quote, they belong to your brother too, and I need his permission, which wasn't at all true. Uh, When he turned to leave, I called after him and said, Jack, wait a second. Can you remember why we decided to settle the lawsuit? He said, "Uh, well, you were getting concerned about the costs, and as you know, we don't take cases on contingency. Although we knew they were lying to us, it was, quote unquote, he said, she said, Besides, your grandfather's estate was only worth $30 million. It was almost word for word what he had told me when I last seen him almost 20 years earlier. Ah, okay, thanks, I said. I was holding in my hands documents that proved the estate had actually been worth close to a billion dollars when he died. I just didn't know it yet. Uh, After I was sure he had gone, I grabbed copies of my grandfather's wills, floppy disks with all of the depositions from the lawsuit, and some of my grandfather's bank records, all of which I was legally entitled to as part of the lawsuit, and stuffed them into my bags. Uh, Sue came by my house the next day to pick up the documents and drop off a burner phone so we could communicate more securely going forward. We weren't taking any chances. Um, Let's see here. (laughs) After the election, Donald called his big sister ostensibly to find out how he was doing. Of course, he thought he already knew the answer, otherwise he wouldn't have made the call in the first place. He merely wanted to con- her to confirm very strongly that he was doing a fantastic job. Uh, when she said, not that good, Donald immediately went on offense. Offense? Offense? Uh, That's nasty, he said. She could see the, see the sneer on his face. 
Then seemingly apropos of nothing, he asked her, Marianne, where would you be without me? It was a smug reference to the fact that Marianne owed her first federal judgeship to Donald because Roy Cohn had done him and her a favor all those years ago. My aunt has always insisted that she earned her position on the bench entirely on her own merits, and she shot back at him, quote, if you say that one more time, I will level, in italics, level you. Uh, but it was an empty threat. Although Marianne had prided herself on being the only person on the planet Donald ever listened to, those days were long past, which was illustrated not long after in June 2018. On the eve of Donald's first summit with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, Marianne called the White House and left a message with his secretary. Quote, tell him his older sister called with a little sisterly advice. Prepare, learn from those who know what they're doing, stay away from Dennis Rodman, and leave his Twitter at home. Uh, he ignored all of it. The political headline the following day read, quote, Trump says Kim meeting will be about attitude, not prep work. If Marianne had ever any sway over her little brother, it was gone now. Aside from the requisite birthday call, they didn't speak much after that. Oh, uh, on October 2nd, 2018, the New York Times published an almost 14,000 word article, the longest in its history revealing the long litany of potentially fraudulent and criminal activities my grandfather, aunts, and uncles had engaged in. Uh, Donald's lawyer, Charles J. Harder, predictably denied the allegations, but the investigative reporters laid out a devastating case. Over the course of Fred's life, he and my grandmother had offered hundreds of millions of dollars to their children. While my grandfather was alive, Donald alone had received the equivalent of $413 million, much of it through questionable means, loans that he never repaid, investments in properties that had never matured, essentially gifts that had never been taxed. Uh, Fred had refused to heed his lawyer's advice to cede control of his empire to his children before his death in order to minimize estate taxes. That meant that Marianne, Elizabeth, Donald, and Robert would be responsible for potentially hundreds of millions of dollars of estate taxes. Um... It may have something to do with him being so hesitant about handing his tax returns over. Uh, my aunts and uncles detested paying taxes almost as much as their father did, and it seemed the main purpose of all county was to siphon money from Trump management through large gifts disguised as, quote, legitimate business transactions, according to the article. The ruse was so effective that when Fred died in 1999... He had only $1.9 million in cash and no assets larger than a $10.3 million IOU from Donald. Uh, fast forward. I met with Marianne again shortly after the article ran. She denied all of it. She was just a, quote, girl, after all. When a piece of paper requiring her signature had been put in front of her, she signed it, no questions asked. Quote, this article goes back 60 years. You know that's before I was a judge, she said, as if the investigation had also ended 60 years before. She seemed unconcerned that there would be any repercussions, although a court inquiry had been opened into her alleged conduct. All she had to do to put an end to it was retire, which she did, thereby retaining her $200,000 a year pension. Why not? Uh, in fact, the vast amounts of money the siblings had possibly stolen made their fight with us over my grandfather's will and their drastic devaluation of our partnership share, which I now understood for the first time, seem pathologically petty and their treatment of my nephew vis-a-vis -vis our medical insurance even more cruel. They had more money than they were letting on. Um, 
And so it's just reflecting back on the fact that they withdrew her nephew's medical insurance um, with how unhealthy he was. Well, not unhealthy, but the health issues that he had. Um, I mean, now it's equally horrible to take health insurance, medical insurance away from like someone that's like, I don't know, like some average basic age, like 34 or something, but to take it away from a kid, a infant, a toddler that just comes out of the womb and is having seizures and has to stay in the hospital after he's born, um, and goes into cardiac arrest and stuff and needs CPR from like a, a trained professional for the family to be like, for the family lawyer to be like, well, why don't the parents just learn CPR then? They don't need nurses. And then to withdraw the medical insurance, doing all of that, and then learning that they had all this extra money that was, I, the, the money's beside the point. Like, health should come first, especially for a child. And they were like, mm, no, it's trivial. It's not our child. It doesn't matter. Um, that's that's pretty shady. I'm about to get into chapter fourteen here. Just let me. Um, chapter fourteen: A civil servant in public housing. I think that this chapter is kind of like the 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 lob, and then the epilogue is really the the windmill dunk. Um. Okay, let's see here. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! This is where all the highlighting went in. You got to kind of blow on the page when you're done highlighting just to make sure that all of it doesn't smear. And I'm just going to read stuff right off the pages. Um, I highlighted a lot. Um, In Donald's mind, he has accomplished everything on his own merits, cheating notwithstanding. How many interviews has he given in which he offers the obvious falsehood that his father loaned him a mere million dollars that he had to pay back? But he was otherwise solely responsible for solely responsible for his success. It's easy to understand why he would believe this. Nobody's failed upward and as consistently and spectacularly as the ostensible leader of the shrinking free world. When I read of the shrinking free world, that was the first like, you know, when Caesar got shanked to death by everybody. That was like the first. Just the first. Uh, Donald today, as much as he was at three years old, incapable of growing, learning, or evolving, unable to regulate his emotions, moderate his responses, or take in and synthesize information. That's the second one. Donald's need for affirmation is so great that he doesn't seem to notice that the largest group of his supporters are people he wouldn't condescend to be seen with outside of a rally. His deep-seated insecurities have created in him a black hole of need that constantly requires the light of compliments that disappears as soon as he soaked it in. I have a very odd feeling that Mary Trump was the writer for his roast on Comedy Central. (laughs) Um, Oh, that would have been a great sound clip to put at the beginning of this. I'd probably get in a lot of trouble, though. (laughs) Nothing is ever enough. This is far beyond garden variety narcissism. Donald is not simply weak. His ego is a fragile thing that must be bolstered every moment because he knows deep down that he is nothing of what he claims to be. 
He knows he's never been loved, so he must draw you in if he can by getting you to assent to even the most seemingly insignificant thing. Isn't this plane great? Yes, Donald, this plane is great. It would be rude to begrudge him that small concession. I hate when people do that. Be like, hey, you like this fucking tablecloth? Isn't this tablecloth something? Look at this tablecloth. It's like, all right, relax. Uh, (laughs) Then he makes his vulnerabilities and insecurities your responsibility. You must assuage, assuage them. You must take care of him. Failing to do so leaves a vacuum that is unbearable for him to withstand for long. If you're someone who cares about his approval, you'll say anything to retain it. He has suffered mightily. And if you aren't doing all you can do to alleviate that suffering, you should suffer too. His real skills, self-aggrandizement, lying, and sleight of hand were interpreted as strengths unique to his brand of success. By perpetuating his version of the story he wanted told about his wealth and his subsequent successes, quote-unquote, our family and then many others started the process of normalizing Donald. His hiring and treatment of undocumented workers and his refusal to pay contractors for completed work were assumed to be the cost of doing business. Treating people with disrespect and nickel and diming them made him look tough. Those misrepresentations must have seemed harmless at the time, a way to sell more copies of the New York Post or increase the viewership of Inside Edition, but each transgression inevitably led to another more serious one. Though Donald's fundamental nature hasn't changed since his inauguration, the amount of stress he's under has changed dramatically. It's not the stress of the job, (laughs) because he isn't doing the job, unless watching TV and tweeting insults counts. It's the effort to keep the rest of us distracted from the fact he knows nothing about politics, civics, or simple human decency that requires an enormous amount of work. For decades, he's gotten publicity, good and bad, but he's rarely been subjected to close scrutiny and he's never had to face significant opposition. His entire sense of himself in the world is being questioned. Donald's problems are accumulating because the maneuvering required to solve them or to pretend they don't exist has become more complicated, requiring many more people to execute the cover-ups. Donald is completely unprepared to solve his own problems or adequately cover his tracks. After all, the systems were set up in the first place to protect him from his own weaknesses, not help him negotiate the wider world. The walls of his very expensive and well-guarded padded cell are starting to disintegrate. The people with access to him are weaker than Donald is, more craven but just as desperate. Their futures are directly dependent on his success and favor. They either fail to see or refuse to believe that their fate will be the same as that of anyone who pledged loyalty to him in the past. There seems to be an endless number of people willing to join the claque that protects Donald from his own inadequacies while perpetuating his unfounded belief in himself. Although more powerful people put Donald into the institutions that have shielded him since the very beginning, it's people weaker than he is who are keeping him there. When Donald became a serious contender for the Republican Party nomination and then the nominee, The national media treated his pathologies, his mendacity, and his delusional grandiosity, as well as his racism and misogyny as if they were entertaining idiosyncrasies beneath which lurked maturity and seriousness of purpose. Over time, the vast bulk of the Republican Party, from the extreme right to the so-called moderate, either embrace him or, in order to use his weakness and malleability to their own advantage, looked the other way. 
After the election, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, and Mitch Meltyface McConnell, I threw that one in there, all of whom bear more than a passing psychological resemblance to Fred, recognized in a way others should have but did not, that Donald's checkered personal history and unique personality flaws make him extremely vulnerable to manipulation by smarter, more powerful men. Ouch. His pathologies have rendered him so simple-minded that it takes nothing more than repeating to him the things he says to to and about himself dozens of times a day. He's the smartest, the greatest, the best. I can hear him saying this while I'm saying this. The smartest, the greatest, the best. Nobody, nobody knows how to XYZ like Donald does. Um, uh, where is it? Where is it? Oh, to get him to do whatever they want, whether it's imprisoning children in concentration camps, betraying allies, implementing economy-crushing tax cuts, or degrading every constitution. Sorry. I just got a notification that actually goes along with what I'm talking about right now. Where is it? Where did it go? What the fuck? Ah, okay. Wait on it. Um, uh, imprisoning children in concentration camps, betraying allies, implementing economy-crushing tax cuts, or degrading every institution that's contributed to the United States' rise and the flourishing of liberal democracy. And the thing that I missed that I could very well just add to what I just read Uh, From Twitter, the U.S. will not join the World Health Organization-linked global effort to develop a COVID-19 vaccine. Nice. That's what we need. Uh, Unlike my grandfather, Donald has always struggled for legitimacy as an adequate replacement for Freddie, as a Manhattan real estate developer or casino tycoon, and now as the occupant of the Oval Office who can never escape the taint of being utterly without qualification or the sense that his win was illegitimate. This has never been more true than it is now, and it is exactly the conundrum our country finds itself in. The government, as it is currently constituted, including the executive branch, half of Congress, and the majority of the Supreme Court, is entirely in the service of protecting Donald's ego. That has become almost its entire purpose. His cruelty serves, in part, as a means to distract both us and himself from the true extent of his failures. The more egregious his failures become, the more egregious his cruelty becomes. Who can pay attention to the children he's kidnapped and put into concentration camps on the Mexican border when he's threatening to out whistleblowers, coercing senators to acquit him in the face of overwhelming evidence of guilt, and pardoning Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher, who'd been accused of war crimes and convicted of posing for a picture with a corpse, all within the same month? If he can keep 47,000 spinning plates in the air, nobody can focus on any one of them. So there's that. It's just a a distraction. His cruelty is also an exercise of his power, such as it is. He's always wielded it against people who are weaker than he is or who are constrained by their duty or dependence from fighting back. Employees and political appointees can't fight back when he attacks them in his Twitter feed because to do so would risk their jobs or their reputations. Freddie couldn't retaliate when his little brother mocked his passion for flying because of his filial responsibility and his decency, just as governors in blue states, desperate to get adequate help for their citizens during the COVID-19 crisis, are constrained from calling out Donald's incompetence for fear he would withhold ventilators and other supplies needed in order to save lives. 
Donald learned a long time ago how to pick his targets. Yes. Uh, every time you hear Donald talking about how something is the greatest, the best, the biggest, the most tremendous, the implication being that he made them so, you have to remember that the man speaking is still, in essential ways, the same little boy who is desperately worried that he, like his older brother, is inadequate and that he too will be destroyed for his inadequacy. At a very deep level, his bragging and false bravado are not directed at the audience in front of him, but at his audience of one, his long dead father. Ouch. I've been saying it all along, right? He's just trying to impress his dad. Still. That's why he's like this. His dad enabled it. He did this because of his dad. He's done all this shit because of his dad. He even tried to screw his own dad on their will. Yet he's still living like he's got to get the, the seal of approval. Uh, Donald has always been able to get away with making blanket statements. Quote, I know more about fill in the blank than anybody. Believe me. Or the iteration, quote, nobody knows more about blank than me. He's been allowed to riff about nuclear weapons, trade with China, Excuse me, carbonated beverage. He's been allowed to riff about nuclear weapons, trade with China, and other things about which he knows nothing. He's gone essentially unchallenged when touting the efficacy of drugs for the treatment of COVID-19 that have not been tested, or engaging in an absurd revisionist history in which he's never made a mistake and nothing is his fault. It's easy to sound coherent and somewhat knowledgeable when you control the narrative and are never pressed to elaborate on your premise or sorry, your premise, or demonstrate that you actually understand the underlying facts. It is an indictment among many of the media that none of, the, that, none of that changed during the campaign when exposing Donald's lies and outrageous claims might have actually saved us from his presidency. On the few occasions he was asked about his positions and policies, which for all intents and purposes don't really exist, he still wasn't expected or required to make sense or demonstrate any depth of understanding. In 2020, his pandemic quote-unquote press briefings, everyone knows what the fuck we're talking about now, quickly devolved into many campaign rallies filled with self-congratulation, demagoguery, and ring-kissing. In them, he's denied the unconscionable failures that have already killed thousands, lied about the progress that's been made, and scapegoated the very people who are risking their lives to save us despite being denied adequate protection and equipment by his administration. I think that while I've been reading this book to you guys, that I think roughly 80 to 100,000 more people have died of COVID. Let's continue. And you could share that fucking article all you want about the 96% of people are fine and it's only 4% or whatever it was. Every fucking nurse that I know, that I've gone to school with, that I'm friends with, that my friends are friends with, that I follow online, have been disproving that, whatever you'd call it, ideology, just poor information, shit information, and they're nurses. But I get it. You got a Trump flag. You think you know stuff. Go ahead and share it. I'll just put you on mute. Uh, where was I? Where was I? Um, 
lied about the progress that's being made, and scapegoated the very people who are risking their lives to save us despite being denied adequate protection and equipment by his administration. Even as hundreds of thousands of Americans are sick and dying, he spins it as a victory, as proof of his stunning leadership. And in the event that anybody thinks he's capable of being serious or somber, he'll throw in a joke about betting models or lie about the size of his Facebook following for good measure. Still, the news networks refuse to pull away. The few journalists who do challenge him, and even those who simply ask Donald for words of comfort, comfort for a terrified nation are derided and dismissed as nasty. I remember when that one reporter, I don't know what her name is, but she, all she did was ask him, you know, do you have any words to try to comfort the American people? And he called her like a nasty woman and then said that it was like a a terrible question. And he's like, terrible report. You're a terrible reporter. And when I saw that, I think I talked about it on this show. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this is, this is the guy that we got dealing with this shit. I would rather have a loaf of bread deal with fucking COVID than this guy. The through line from Donald's early destructive behavior that Fred actively encouraged to the media's unwillingness to challenge him and the Republican Party's willingness to turn a blind eye to the daily corruption he's committed since January 20th, 2017, have led to the impending collapse of this once great nation's economy, democracy, and health. (sighs) We must dispense with the idea of Donald's quote-unquote strategic brilliance in understanding the intersection of media and politics. Um, Despite the fluke that was his electoral advantage and a victory that was at best suspect and at worst illegitimate, he never had his finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist. His bluster and shamelessness just happened to resonate with certain segments of the population. If what he was doing during 2016 hadn't worked, he would have kept doing it anyways because lying, playing to the lowest common denominator, cheating, and sowing division are all he knows, much like his dad. He is as incapable of adjusting to changing circumstances as he is of becoming presidential. He did tap into a certain bigotry and inchoate rage, which he's always been good at doing. The full-page screen he paid to publish in the New York Times in 1989 calling for the Central Park Five to be put to death, wasn't about his deep concern for the rule of law. The man that tweets law and order fucking six times a day. It was an easy opportunity for him to take on a deeply serious topic that was very important to the city while sounding like an authority in the influential and prestigious pages of the Grey Lady. It was unvarnished racism meant to stir up racial animosity in a city already seething with it, much like he does every time he opens his mouth now. All five boys, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Raymond Santana, Corey Wise, and Yusuf Salam were subsequently cleared, proven innocent via incontrovertible DNA evidence. To this day, however, Donald insists that they were guilty, yet another example of his inability to drop a preferred narrative, even when it's contradicted by established fact. Donald takes any rebuke as a challenge and doubles down on the behavior that drew fire in the first place as if the criticism is permission to do worse. Fred came to appreciate Donald's obstinacy because it signaled the kind of toughness he sought in his sons. Fifty years later, people are literally dying because of his catastrophic decisions and disastrous inaction. With millions of lives at stake, he takes accusations about the federal government's failure to provide ventilators personally threatening to withhold funding and life-saving equipment from states whose governors don't pay sufficient homage to him. 
that doesn't surprise me. The deafening silence in response to such a blatant display of sociopathic disregard for human life or the consequences of one's actions, on the other hand, fills me with despair and reminds me that Donald isn't really the problem after all. What? This is the end result of Donald's having continuously been given a pass and rewarded not just for his failures, but for his transgressions, <coughs> sorry, against tradition, against decency, against the law, and against fellow human beings. His acquittal in the sham Senate impeachment trial was another such reward for bad behavior. The lies may become true in his mind as soon as he utters them, but they're still lies. It's just another way for him to see what he can get away with, and so far, he's gotten away with everything. <sighs> Tell me that chapter wasn't better than every other chapter in this book. <laughs> um. Guys, this is it. This is the epilogue. I would like to thank everyone for taking this journey with me. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Let's do it. Let's, let's do this. This, um, that chapter, and then this chapter, or epilogue, if it counts as a chapter, whatever. Um, remind me of that scene from Billy Madison where he talks about the, the boy who lost his puppy or whatever, or the puppy that lost... Yeah, yeah, the puppy that lost its way. Um, and he talks about it in like that pentathlon or whatever he does with the dude. And he makes this big speech about the dog and the, then the judge at the end of it looks at him and says like that whole quote about, you know, everything that you have said has made everyone in this room dumber <laughs> epilogue time the 10th circle <sighs> on november 9th 2016 my despair was triggered in part by the certainty that donald's cruelty and incompetence would get people killed my best guess at the time was that this would occur through a disaster of his own making such as an avoidable war he either provoked or stumbled into i still got a few months don't give him too much credit <laughs> I couldn't have anticipated how many people would willingly enable his worst instincts, which have resulted in government-sanctioned kidnapping of children, detaining of refugees at the border, and betrayal of our allies, among other atrocities. And I couldn't have foreseen that a global pandemic would present itself, allowing him to display his grotesque indifference to the lives of other people. Uh, Donald's initial response to COVID-19 underscores his need to minimize negativity at all costs. Fear, the equivalent of weakness in our family, is as unacceptable to him now as it was when he was three years old. Quote unquote, nobody could have predicted a pandemic that his own Department of Health and Human Services was running simulations for just a few months before COVID 19 struck in Washington state. Why does he do this? Fear. Donald didn't drag his feet in December 2019, in January, in February, in March because of his narcissism. He did it because of his fear of appearing weak or failing to project the message that everything was great, beautiful, and perfect. Now, that makes a lot of sense because it's a lot easier to just ignore a problem or treat a problem as something smaller than it actually is than to actually take it head on. And then if you do fuck up, which honestly, if he would have fucking grabbed the bull by the horns, he wouldn't have fucked anything up. There's a fly in here. Yeah, get out of here. Um, 
if he would have just done the right thing and done all this shit that the fucking people on the internet said to do, listen to Fauci, listen to Deborah Burks, um, stop talking, let them do everything. Um, I think we would have been in a better place because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we've been locked down for what? Mm, five, six months now. Um, there's a lot of people saying early on, let's just close this bitch up for a month. This will go away like nothing. It'll be no issue. But no, no, the economy is more important than the lives of people, I guess. Um, well, at least that's what he made it seem. So that's what his supporters made it seem. And boy, uh, they are sure a, a loud bunch for being the silent majority. Uh, the irony is that his failure to face the truth has inevitably led to massive failure anyways. In this case, the lives of potentially hundreds of thousand pe thousands of people will be lost and the economy of the richest country in history may well be destroyed. I'd like to read that again where she says, the lives of potentially hundreds of thousands of people will be lost. Um, yeah, when she was writing this, we were well over, we, we were well under 100,000. And now we are well over. Um, okay, where was I? Donald will acknowledge none of this, moving the goalposts to hide the evidence and convincing himself in the process that he's done a better job than anybody else could have if only a few hundred thousand die instead of two million. They're actually, this is fucking terrifying because where she says a few hundred thousand instead of two million, they're actually projecting that if they were to just let this quote unquote run through the population for the sake of herd immunity, um, which they're not thinking is a thing with this virus because people have gotten it and then gotten over it and then got it again. Um, I think, I can't remember where I read it, but they projected that if they just it, let it run through the population, that we would lose about 2 million people in the country. Um, so reading that, and her kind of being right and predicting the hundreds of thousands of people dying, kind of spooky. Uh, get even with the people who have screwed you, Donald has said, but often the person he's getting revenge on is somebody he screwed over first, such as the contractors he's refused to pay, or for the niece and nephew he refused to protect. Even when he, sorry, manages to hit his target, his aim is so bad that he causes collateral damage. Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York and currently the de facto leader of the country's COVID-19 response, has committed not only the sin of insufficiently kissing Donald's ass, but the ultimate sin of showing Donald up by being better and more competent, a real leader who is respected and effective and admired. Okay, I'm going to stop here and say this. The whole thing about the nursing homes and sending all these people back to the nursing homes, in my eyes, and seeing how Cuomo handled all of this other stuff and how well New York is doing now, and people have also tried to dump on Fauci for this, for like changing his opinion on stuff here and there. Um, I think, well, first of all, it's called a medical practitioner because they're practicing. They're trying to figure shit out. And so when we have a pandemic that we've never had to deal with before, with a virus that we've never had to deal with before, you're not just going to walk in there and know everything. But with that said, you are most qualified to figure it out. Um, every governor had to take control of the situation in their own state. 
And when Cuomo did that early on, he sent a bunch of sick people back to nursing homes, not knowing that there would be a gross amount of people that died as a result of that. Um, I would think that the knowledge there would be to just keep them where we know they're safe and that there's people to take care of them. But we did not know probably that something like this would happen. New York is doing the best in the country, I believe. And at first, we were getting shit on on a daily basis. It was to the point where I was scared to leave my house. I was scared to go to work. I was scared to have my wife go to work. I was scared. I was doing my mom's grocery shopping. It was bad in New York. All right. Now we're doing really good. Um, okay. Back to this. Um, let's see. Ah, uh, kissing Donald's ass, but the ultimate sin of showing Donald up by being better and more competent, a real leader who's respected and effective and admired. Donald can't fight back by shutting Cuomo up or reversing his decisions. Having abdicated his authority to lead a nationwide response, he is no longer he no longer has the ability to counter decisions made at the state level. Donald can insult Cuomo and complain about him, but every day the governor's real leadership further reveals Donald as a petty, pathetic little man, ignorant, incapable, out of his depth, and lost in his own delusional spin. What Donald can do in order to offset the powerlessness and rage he feels is punish the rest of us. He'll withhold ventilators or steal supplies from states that have not groveled sufficiently. If New York continues not to have enough equipment, Cuomo will look bad, the rest of us be damned. Thankfully, Donald doesn't have many supporters in New York City, thank God, but even some of those will die. Some of those will die because of his craven need for revenge. What Donald thinks is justified retaliation is, in this context, mass murder. It would have been easy for Donald to be a hero. People would have hated and criticized him. People who have hated and criticized him would have forgiven or overlooked his endless stream of appalling actions if he'd simply have someone take the pandemic preparedness manual down from the shelf it was put after the Obama administration gave it to him. Ouch. If he had alerted the appropriate agencies and state governments at the first evidence the virus was highly contagious, had extremely high mortality rates, and was not being contained. If he had invoked the Defense Production Act of 1950 to begin production of PPE, ventilators, and other necessary equipment to prepare the country to deal with the worst-case scenario, if he'd allowed the medical and scientific experts to give daily press conferences during which facts were presented clearly and honestly, if he'd ensured that there was a systematic top-down approach and coordination among all of the necessary agencies, most of those tasks would have required almost no effort on his part. A few phone calls... Maybe an email, maybe a Zoom. That's all you got to do, guy. All he would have had to do, oh, here we go, was make a couple of phone calls, give a speech or two, then delegate everything else. He might have been accused of being too cautious, but most of us would have been safe and many more of us would have survived. Instead, states are forced to buy vital supplies from private contractors. The federal government commandeers those supplies, and then FEMA distributes them back to private contractors who then resell them. While thousands of Americans die alone, Donald touts stock market gains. As my father lay dying alone, Donald went to the movies. That's another one. The whole past two chapters here have just been jab after jab. If he can in any way profit from your death, he'll facilitate it, and then he'll ignore the fact that you died. Why did it take so long for Donald to act? Why didn't he take the novel coronavirus seriously? In part because, like my grandfather, he has no imagination. 
The pandemic didn't immediately have to do with him, and managing the crisis in every moment doesn't help him promote his preferred narrative that no one has ever done a better job than he has. As the pandemic moved into its third then fourth month, and the death toll continued its rise into the tens of thousands, the press started to comment on Donald's lack of empathy for those who have died and the families they leave behind. I'll just read this part even though I didn't highlight it. The simple fact that Donald is fundamentally incapable of acknowledging the suffering of others, telling the stories of those we've lost would bore him. Acknowledging the victims of COVID-19 would be to associate himself with their weakness, a trait his father taught him to despise. Donald can no more advocate for the sick and dying than he could put himself between his father and Freddie. Perhaps most crucially for Donald, there's no value in empathy, no tangible upside for caring for other people. David Korn wrote, Everything is transactional for this poor, broken human being. Everything. It's an epic tragedy of parental failure that my uncle does not understand that he or anybody else has intrinsic worth. In Donald's mind, even acknowledging an inevitable threat would indicate weakness. Taking responsibility would open him up to blame. Being a hero, being good, is impossible for him. The same could be said of his handling of the worst civil unrest since the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. This is another crisis in which it would have been easy for so easy for Donald to triumph, but his ignorance overwhelms his ability to turn his advantage the th- to turn to his advantage the third national catastrophe to occur on his watch. An effective response would have detailed entailed, sorry, a call for unity, but Donald requires division. It's the only way he knows how to survive. My grandfather ensured that decades ago when he turned his children against each other. I can only imagine the envy with which Donald watched Derek Chauvin's casual cruelty and monstrous indifference as he murdered George Floyd. Hands in his pockets, his insouci... Yeah, whatever. His gaze aimed at the camera. I can only imagine that Donald's wishes that Donald wishes it had been his knee on Floyd's neck. Instead, Donald withdraws to his comfort zones. Twitter, Fox News, casting blame from afar, protected by a figurative or literal bunker. He rants about the weakness of others as he demonstrates his own, but he can never escape the fact that he is and always will be a terrified little boy. I got a feeling that Mary is not getting invited to the reunion. Donald's monstrosity is the manifestation of the very weakness within him that he's been running from his entire life. For him, there was never any option to be positive. Oh, sorry. For him, there was never, there has never been any option. It was a long day, guys, right? Uh, There's never been any option but to be positive, to project strength, no matter how illusory, because doing anything else carries a death sentence. My father's short life is evidence of that. The country is now suffering from the same toxic positivity that my grandfather deployed, specifically to drown out his ailing wife, torment his dying son, and damage past healing the psyche of his favorite child, Donald J. Trump. Quote, everything's great, right, toots? That is what, um, that's what her grandfather would say to her grandmother when she was sick. Everything's great, right? Right, toots? Oh, boy. Oof. As Bill Burr said on his podcast, that is one, that is one weird son of a bitch. <laughs> um, let, let me uh, just say that 
I don't typically like reading stuff like this. This isn't the first book that has been written about him. Um, but the fact that his niece wrote it is, was the most relevant part to me. Um, I'm glad that she addressed the whole lawsuit thing, the whole thing with the will. Um, because I knew a lot of people who haven't read the book, will never read the book, um, said that it was, you know, she was just writing this for money. Um, but writing a book doesn't magically create uh, uh, income. Um, you know, there was a story. And so she told the story. Um, I, li I like how much background was in there that like to that that led to um the the last two chapters here really where it really all just came together with how everything is now um but let me, let me just read this here uh and i i'm not going to make any friends with this one <laughs> as i wrapped up mary's trump's book it made me sit back and think about the true reality of where we currently are as a nation uh, I'm in no way an expert on anything, most specifically politics, or the country for that matter, or really just anything in general. However, I am a citizen of the country, so I have a right to my opinion on it. Uh, whether you choose to agree with my thoughts or not is strictly up to you. Uh, this book creates the idea that our president is a weak man, and that he creates controversy knowingly to further division through anger and blind loyalty. Uh, that loyalty is a product of some of the ugliest aspects of our society. You all know what I'm talking about. Racism, uh, nationalism, all that stuff. Uh, I do not think his loyal followers are all brainwashed like we think. I think many of them hold on to their pride and are unable to admit that their vote in 2016 has evolved into a disastrous situation for us all. There's been a lot of people that have just come out and said, you know, I voted for him. I thought it would be different. Um, Everything has gotten really bad. I don't like it. I'm not going to vote for him. We, we've all seen it. We've all seen it online. Uh, they, just like our leader, do not want to admit any fault or admission of any level of failure, so they keep on adding to the narrative that pats their backs in whichever way they can. People are always trying to find a way to spin it positive, even most recently with what's going on in Kenosha. Um, I think it was last night or this morning where he said that, you know, oh, well, that, that kid that drove 30 miles with his mom and shot three people and killed two of them was clearly acting in self-defense, even though, honestly, like I said, I think when I recorded the other day, if I drive 30 miles somewhere with a gun, like, he had intent to use it, you know? But anyways... Oh, um, how dare any of you say that you love this country when you continue to enable the behavior of a president that has made us the number one hotspot in a global pandemic, not to mention we're seeing the most racial inequity in America since Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. The only reason you love this president is because his, because his actions and enabling have not yet caused any pain in your life or anyone you care about. Your enablers that mock the murders and gross attacks on a population whose problems do not resonate with you, therefore they somehow do not exist and are just figments of the imagination or some strange and fictional political agenda that is anti-whatever you believe in. You cheer politicians on like you're rooting for a baseball team when this is a much more serious situation. But again, your world has not been affected, so why would you take anything seriously? 
please know that although you believe that you're in the right, there's a massive number of Americans who look at you as a fool, and all you're doing is adding on to the embarrassment that our country has become to the rest of the world under this man. Oh, that felt good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about this guy. Um, I'm not voting for him. And like I said, I know I joked about Joe Biden a lot. Um, but, you know, after seeing his acceptance speech at the DNC, um, and even before that, obviously, because I'm not going to vote for whoever the libertarian candidate is just because she has absolutely no press, a huge contrast to the press that Gary Johnson got. Um, I don't know if it's like a sexist thing because she's a woman. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because of how important this election is. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that's the reason why. Um, because a lot of people really do sit in the middle on a lot. So it would probably be smarter to have more of a centrist kind of person. But um, that's a, I just can't vote third party this year <laughs> i just can't do it so i'm voting for um biden um even though i i joked around a lot after I, just after seeing his speech like i really don't think that there's much wrong um it seems like he's got more of a stutter than anything and honestly he's just kind of speaking off the top next to talking off a teleprompter so yeah i mean i'm reading it with a fucking book in front of me and i still stumble and can't read half the time so i get it i i get it um, and maybe I'm making excuses to try to, you know, make my choice seem more rational, but I don't know anyone in their right mind, man, <laughs> I just don't. Um, so that's the end of this. Um, and you know, I'll still talk about stuff as it happens. Cause obviously stuff is still going to be happening. We got, uh, two months until uh, the election, and God only knows how long that's going to get fucking dragged out. Um, we probably won't know who's the president until like a week or two after the election, which would be very interesting. Um, but, you know, there's a lot going on right now. And like I said before, it would be just dumb not to talk about what's going on. Uh, everything is way too important to just ignore and come on here and talk about some book that I'm reading or uh, you know, anything like that, um, just seems kind of asinine. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the book. I got it at Barnes and Noble. It was like, yeah, I paid like 30 bucks for it. Uh, you'd probably get it cheaper on Amazon if you want to read it for yourself. I did leave a lot out. Um, like I said, I didn't want to read the whole book. The last two chapters were kind of a gimme because, they were just everything in them was just good um so yeah uh that's all i got that's the end of the book stay involved know what's going on have conversations with people don't be an idiot um and if you got a bad opinion just keep it off the internet you know um and again white people stop telling black people how to feel about racism all right. Have a good week. I'm positive that I'll talk to you all before Labor Day. But if not, for whatever reason, have a great long weekend if you have uh, been provided one. 
Um, if you have not been working, just enjoy. Enjoy for now. Um, it'll get back to normal soon. Let's hope. Have a good night.